Welcome to Single Serving Cinema with Tim and Tay, a podcast that looks at one critical scene in a movie every other week. We explore how the scene is constructed, what the scene achieves, and what it can tell us about the movie as a whole. I'm Tim. And I'm Tay. What's going on, cinephiles? We got a special episode for you today. Bonus time. Yeah, we thought we'd squeeze in a little bite-sized bonus for you because it is our Alien Month, and we've got a great Alien movie in theaters. So Tay and I decided to go back. We each saw it separately uh, with... uh, uh, in diff- different theaters at different times and then actually we were recording one of our September episodes and we started it by talking about the movie Nope for about 20 minutes which was a good hint that we should just do a little episode on it yeah I think there's no clearer way to determine what what our bonus episode at least of this season should be maybe we'll do more but we did one last year when we did Dune and I'm really excited that we both kind of agreed on this oh, like instantly it was such an obvious choice at least for me mm-hmm. to kind of uh, I don't know. I had such a strong desire to go right back to the theater to see this movie, so I'm excited to talk mm-hmm. about it with you. Yeah, yeah. This was definitely one worth returning for. We'll talk about it a little bit. I do think there's a lot in this movie that um, benefits from being rewatched. There were a couple things I think we talked about afterwards, things that don't immediately come across as clear, but also don't feel like a failure in the filmmaking, but rather just another rich layer underneath that when you return to it knowing the sort of arc of the full story itself you can see more of what's going on and uh and and i think that's one of uh peel jordan peel director jordan peel's strengths in this movie yeah writer director jordan peel too yes uh, of course who, who's quickly becoming one of the more prominent auteurs in hollywood cinema or just cinema i guess in general these days uh this is his third feature film and I think this much clo- it much more closely resembles what he did with Get Out. I did not think that Us was very strong in that regard, nor did I think it was a very mm-hmm. good script. Uh, there was parts of it that I liked, but this is like that. This is, has the similar rich cultural context that was so mm-hmm. uh, inspiring about Get Out, and it was really yeah. nice to see him return to form like this. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also, I mean, there there are aspects of this just in terms of its energy and its plot that make it more rewatchable than Get Out. I've seen Get Out multiple yes. times. It's very well rendered and well put together. It's very, uh, it can be profound and very exciting and, and terrifying. Um, but, you know, that leaned more into a sort of psychological horror uh, setting. And this one's this one's a, an action horror or wh- whatever you want to call. I mean, I think the closest analog is Jaws, right? Well, I guess right here and now we should say that there will be full-on spoilers for the movie. We're not going to actually dissect a specific scene today. So Tim and I Mm -hmm. are just going to riff on the movie as a whole. Uh, But we do want to say that spoilers included because right from here on, we got to start talking about what's happening in the movie. So Mm -hmm. you've already brought up the Jaws comparable. Yeah. Yeah, and before, like, we'll we'll go through some of our paperwork as well. I did just want to say before we leave the sort of Jordan Peele conversation... Um, there's an article I'll link that I really like uh, about how, well, what's this article called? It's by David Sims uh, from my favorite podcast, Blank Check, writing for The Atlantic. And the article's called Netflix Thinks Exactly Like an Old Movie Studio. And it sort of talks to a bunch of different filmmakers, people who have worked with Netflix and that haven't. And sort of how Netflix right now is moving towards they need the biggest blockbuster hit, whereas they used to be more auteur-driven. It was a place where someone like Scorsese or Noah Baumbach... Uh, no, but who did Marriage Story? Is that Bombak? Bombak. Yeah. Um, could go and get something funded that maybe a studio wouldn't take a chance on. Even Venture. Uh, yep, yeah, Venture, definitely. 
in it, there's this great quote by Paul Feig, uh, who made Ghostbusters, Spy, A Simple Favor, uh, not necessarily movies that we're going to cover on this podcast, but I think he makes a really good point in it that uh, Jordan Peele sort of occupies a very unique position in the film culture right now. He says, look at Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele's movies are events and they don't cost that much. That's what you want, where people are like, oh, my God, I have to see that. Netflix thinks exactly like an old movie studio. In the other hand, they want hits, right? So I do think event watching right now is generally superhero movies, and that's almost it. Um, it really Top is. Top Gun Maverick is an amazing sort of proof of concept for movie theaters still if you just make an exciting movie that belongs on the big screen. I, I did but think that James Bond last year would fit into that same yep. kind of like spectacle mm-hmm. realm. Yeah. But that was that's these movies are more and more rare, and maybe the return from the pandemic back to theaters is kind of inspiring this bigger picture idea Mm -hmm. that like i think they are pushing apart like movies where and again in this article too there are people who are saying you know would when harry met sally be a theatrical release today probably not it would probably be a straight to streaming uh smaller movies dramas dramedies romantic comedies they're more likely to end up streaming and they push things that have to be justified to be on the big screen as on the big screen and some people take advantage of that and you know the marvel studio marvel studios don't really take advantage of that they take it for granted i think in terms of what they produce and what they offer the audience but peel to bring it back i think he's he's tapping into this idea of like a big sort of exciting summer blockbuster with a uh, a scary creature but it's not outright horror it it walks this really fine line in the way that i think if you saw jaws when you were a kid it's kind of the same thing like it's a lot in daylight it's a lot there's not a ton of gore but like it's thrilling and it's it's, it's exciting and there's the occasional imagery that's it's going to give you a nightmare if you're you know if you see it when you're seven or eight yeah i don't think that this is a straight up like rip off of jaws but it carries a very similar tone to most of jaws in the sense that it's mm-hmm. the, it's a lot of adventure driven story it's not mm-hmm. horror based like they're not being stalked necessarily as much as they are fighting against the entity uh, mm-hmm. which i think there's a big difference between how you feel as an audience member when that's the case in this in nope there's a team that comes together they you know all have really well-rounded personalities and deeper backstories than i think most movies provide their central characters yeah and it's not like we know everything about them, but we know enough to know their motivations as characters and their relationships and why their relationships make sense between one another. And it's like kind of this ragtag group of four who come together to photograph this creature in the end. And it's a, that's a really compelling story from so many aspects. Yeah, it's a really well rendered cast and that all comes from its script and its direction, right? The director is making sure that everyone knows what type of movie they're in when they're doing something. Because, again, it's easy to forget that none of these people were necessarily all on set at the same time as one another. More likely in a production like this, but the bigger the production you get, the more likely you have to, you know, Kaluuya's only got so much time between one movie and another. Um, But, uh, yeah, before we do go any further, uh, I should just run through our quick little uh, synopsis of it. Uh, Ranch-owning brother and sister OJ and Emerald Haywood band together with, uh, with a few other professionals to attempt to capture a frightening phenomenon on camera in order to gain wealth and fame um obviously this is a 2022 movie came out just last month directed by jordan peele starring daniel kaluuya kiki palmer 
Daniel Perea, and um, Michael Wincott. Uh, if you want to list him in starring, that 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 starts to push it. But yeah, yeah, because you didn't even you excluded Stephen Yun, who's got like I that. I forgot and about Stephen Yun, and uh, we were just talking about how much I like him. So I I'm yeah. sorry about that, Stephen. Please come on the podcast soon. Yeah, We'd love to talk to you. <laughs> we are big fans of Stephen Yun on this podcast. Uh, I think he's got a very very consistently good filmography under his belt. But uh, I do had I had I thought this character was oddly placed in this film. I. I want to talk about like cultural context a bit, but I thought that my first viewing of the movie, I was just kind of curious as to how his character connected. And then this second time watching it, it was a lot more clear the, I don't know, based like from a number of like microcosm, like Jordan Peele things to Mm. bigger picture thematic elements. I think his character has a really good place in this story. And I really like, the character of Ricky Park uh, and what he, what the flavor that that adds to the context of this film. Yeah, that was one of the things that stuck with me. And I think it's also, it's one of the more challenging aspects of this film. And it's why I have so much respect for how Jordan Peele made it and respect for the reality of his creative control in the movie industry. How do you mean? Because the fact is that you can see a, a version of this movie in your mind where all the stuff with Gordy, the ape, isn't included, right? Because it's almost like thematic flavor text um, and less so anything that moves the plot along. It is it is the background. Um, it is the background texture for a character who is not the main character and who doesn't drive a lot of the story as far as you can tell. And a lot of it is laid very subtly throughout the movie that before the movie starts itself, um, his his character, um, um, Stephen Yen's character, whose name is... Ricky Park. Ricky Park um, was already aware of this creature being there and had been figuring out how to lure it out and, cre- and basically make a stage show out of it, right? Um, and I realize this is our second viewing, so you get to pick up a lot of stuff that... Yeah, like the first time a horse is lost, it's at night, and it's from Kaluuya's perspective out on the ranch. You can see that he's running an audio recording of his show with the lights on at night. Yeah, because they're in the, the same valley, right? right? So right. From, yeah, like, the, from the Haywood Jupiter's residence. ranch and Yeah, and the Haywoods are on the same thing. So you can see him basically testing out the timing of the show. Way out and in the to distance, figure out yeah. when when his speech has to happen, when this creature is going to show up, when it's going to suck up this horse, and also like it goes so far that like on the side of that little amphitheater, there are neon lights for the they call the the starlight the Star Lasso Express. Yes. they call the show. Yes. So you're like, okay, how long does it make to take a custom light? Like they must have been working on this for months, right? There's all this very subtle stuff that I I 100. Uh, see how you wouldn't pick up on it on a first viewing and it does kind of leave you in this place where it's like wait how did he know about it already and i i i respect the idea that peel would want to challenge the audience member a little bit more they'd have to think a little bit more about what they'd seen already and also just again in terms of his creative control to keep all that gordy stuff in there there's an entire uh detour Right, and this would be the scene that I'd want to talk about if we were doing a scene. But again, we're we're off the cuff for this little bite-sized bonus. But where they flash back to um, Gordy going nuts on 
on set at Gordy's place. Uh, it's this one long tracking shot, and it's something that they touch on earlier when Steven Yeun's character, Ricky Park, is telling the nice version of what happened on that show. And I think it all ties into to, I think the overarching thing is like, how do you respond to a bad miracle, right? To trauma, to a horrific experience. And that's and why think, in contrast with one another, yeah. that it works for his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Peel, I think Peel's making the argument that like the modern person, modern generations, their easiest way to deal with that kind of stuff is to capture it and use it for some term terms of promotion. So like you get extremely political and compare this to the way, you know, uh, uh, phone cameras capture instances of police brutality and things like that. Right. Um, truly vicious things, vicious incidents. But just the fact that in general, it's, you know, the world star population, as soon as we see something, that's something we don't normally see. Ninety percent of the people around you are going to put out a phone. Me, me and a friend, we were in Ireland a couple months ago and there was this spontaneous band that came up to perform hits like in the in the base of the Guinness storeroom. And it for the first 10 seconds, it was pretty neat. And then we looked around and there were like 4,000 phones out in front of us and everyone was looking through the phone to watch it. And it really lost its flavor very quickly. Well, that is very much the world today. And I think Peel mm-hmm. is commenting on that, though. We have the the faceless TMZ reporter who shows up at the climactic mm-hmm. moment of the scene and gets quickly dealt with by the creature <clears throat> purely based on his ignorance of the situation. And mm-hmm. it's... A moment that the film really enjoys and almost like it's There's Jordan Peele's message to TMZ I, it, in a very yeah. nice, clear cut way. He's kindly pointing the middle finger at them. I also don't think he's um, taking a position of superiority as an artist in the film world because you have so, so Michael Wincott plays Antler's Holst, which just a phenomenal everything character. about the character right yeah. there. A phenomenal character played by a Canadian actor. Um, with a with a great voice, they dress him like a cinematographer Hoyt Van Hoytma, who did shoot um, this film. Yeah, in just sort of like flowy black rags and and stuff like that. And his demise is that he wants a better take, right? Like they essentially they get just like such an exciting, like heart thumpingly satisfying scene when they do the run, essentially, and they draw this creature out. And they get it to broadside towards this non-electric, you know, manual IMAX camera, IMAX camera yeah. that, that Antler's Holst is running. And you're like, that's it. It's so like I got I got goosebumps both times. And it was because it wasn't I think the the really magical part of that sequence is that it's not because like Kaluuya survived or there wasn't the stakes weren't like survival. It was are we going to get the shot? And then they get yeah. the shot and you're like, you kind of want to like cheer in the theater for the process of like having a good take in a film right i think it's it's a really specific thing that he achieved in this and it's super weird when you lay it out like that i think even having a cinematographer as a character in your story you're drawing attention Mm -hmm. to the art of filmmaking and obviously peel's like opening scene where he kind of is introducing the haywoods when they're doing the safety training on a Mm -hmm. commercial shoot that in itself is a beautiful opening moment to kind of touch on everything that creates peel's world 
right? He's he's everything you see in it is clearly like a perspective that he is taking on on directors on how animal trainers are treated on set for instance like and these are all very specific things there's so much context in that opening how scene much room though. is given for safety yeah right? exactly um yeah no like that that yeah that second scene is is you can feel the mad tv behind it where he basically cast these broad versions of like an ad a cinematographer a script supervisor etc 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 and um and obviously he's being a little self-deprecating and self-critical too of like the whole practice of it and kind of mm-hmm. the the staged nature of everything i think and i i don't think it's by accident that the whole commercial he's shooting seems ridiculous with a horse in like in front of a green screen and there's a there's a shot that i noticed this time where you can see what the green screen is supposed to be imitating did you see that no is it there is there's a reference monitor and it was actually like t- like the horse was surrounded by like tidal waves it was just oh. like in a thing of like waves so yeah, like because all i knew is like it's on sand and even like the sandbox is green screen yeah and i i didn't catch that though yeah it was um, just a quick shot later in the scene i think maybe even during the safety montage mm. and uh it was like just a perspective from the back of the room and there's a reference yeah. monitor there that showed their shooting so i think once again peel peels movies when he makes them the way he wants they deliver on so many different levels. I think. Can I just? Mm-hmm. I want to touch on like two things. I really. I picked up this time yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, go for it. I'm gonna look something um, up. There in the Gordy scene when Gordy is given the birthday present that mm-hmm. uh, ultimately causes the demise because it's a bunch of balloons that pop and that's what makes him go crazy. The birthday paper or the birthday gift wrapping paper on the ground surrounding the scene is a spaceship wrapping paper. So that was kind of cool. Like I'm like Jordan Peele doing his. He's referencing like a very nostalgic 90s wrapping paper but also like highlighting the fact that this is a science fiction film mm-hmm. um and i also really liked how steven yun at the beginning almost seemingly in a in a manner of ignorance says sukasa e mikasa when he's talking yeah. to kiki palmer in the in his mm-hmm. office and he's telling her to explore but it almost it it has like a gr- more grand context if you think about it because he is trying to take the Haywood Ranch. He's trying to buy their home. Yeah, and he's saying your home is my home instead of my home is your home, which is what the expression is supposed to be in Spanish. So it's a really cool like it's actually like very multi layered. Yeah, no, no, there's a lot going on there. And I think, yeah, all of that stuff is just going to continue to be able to be dissected and allows you to go in different places. And and one aspect of that, and I think this is something that Peel's especially great at. And of course, it's a collaboration with um, production designers. Um, it's a matter of casting and a big collaboration with cinematographers, but in creating memorable imagery, even when it's not directly necessary to any immediate end. I remember this from the first trailer, right? I think the first time this trailer showed, we were seeing a movie and you did your thing where generally, if you know you're going to go see the movie, you kind of like avert your eyes. Yeah, and cover my ears if I can. Yeah. So I'm 100% in on teaser trailers, especially when they're well done, which I think the Nope one was because they don't give a lot away, but it's a lot of here's this image, here's this iconography, here's this thing, and it'll stick in your mind. And, like, the one that stuck most, honestly, was the TMZ reporter with his, like, chrome helmet and his three cameras on the, on the like, the multi-rig thing. In the, com- in the trailer, it seems almost surreal. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, and and like and there's the they have the kids with the alien masks and yeah. the woman who who survived the monkey attack and she has no lips or lower face and they show you all of that and of course within the context of the movie none of those things matter but that's none of I, those things yeah. are the thing that's why I'm happy I, I love, didn't like, watch it until after because yeah. that's all misdirection which is yeah. great because I don't a great, think it's a great teaser though and I think he does more of that in this movie and I think that the key one I mean if you search nope upside down shoe it like spawned like video essays, right? Because people are like, oh, was the alien there when the attack happened? And that's why the shoe is, or not upside down, but like the shoe that's pointing up. From Get the out of here set, with all that. Which is all incredibly stupid. And I think, I don't think, I know it overreaches the point, which is just getting into um, Steven Yeun's character's mind, which is from this incredibly traumatic event this little key detail sticks in your mind and it's the shoe. It's not what happened to that person's face or the way that the, the dad on the sitcom sounded when he was murdered by an ape or even when Gordy got shot or the fist bump sequence, all that stuff, which is so good. I love the idea that like there's that shoe and that's what sticks in his mind. And that kind of like in that sequence, when he's telling the story, it's what brings him back to it. And then it's, did, and then it's displayed like, like that in the yeah. display room, yeah. right? It's displayed on its mm-hmm. heel like facing up and i love that i think it's a very powerful ability and i don't see it in a lot of movies anymore where it's like this image doesn't have to mean anything it doesn't have to be a keystone for understanding the plot it's it's a thing that stays with you and it's a it's an ineffable thing to try to i think render on film um i think there, there are little hints towards it too like wincott's character um antlers holst when he shows up on the ranch after he decides to come work on the on the shoot essentially his first line is, there's a wheelchair on your roof. And then he goes, there, that cloud hasn't moved. Yeah. Right? And it's like, the cinematographer has an eye for odd things, for things that, right. are, that, are, that don't make sense. And I, I, I love that as just a, not even a theme, a motif. It's something that happens in the movie, and it doesn't bear too much analysis. And that's what I think gets, has been overdone with Peele's films. I think that mm-hmm. people tried to dissect us and then realized that that was futile because no one made sense of like how that world could possibly happen. Um, mm-hmm. But people really over-dissected Get Out. <clears throat> and I know I'm saying this as the person who just brought up the spaceship wrapping paper, but I'm bringing mm-hmm. this up as just like, look at what Jordan Peele can visualize and look at how much thought he's putting into things. I'm not saying like, oh, this is all foreshadowing for what, we're supposed to understand or take away from the film. It's none of that stuff. Uh, I think Peel has such a brilliant mind at creating really illustrative worlds, and he's really good at doing this almost purely visually. His scripts are obviously mm-hmm. very good, and especially his sense of humor is excellent from his mm-hmm. just his early work was as a comedian. But his attention to detail with visuals is something that definitely stands out across his work whether it's the scissors in us that have like this terrifying or the rabbits. Yeah. Or the, yeah. Or just the, yeah. yeah, the white rabbits. Um, but in this, there's, there's just, this is just the next level of what he's going mm-hmm. to do with his filmmaking. And I can't wait to see where he, where he goes from here. Cause it's really impressive what he's been able to do already. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was just looking at sort of how this movie's been doing like across a hundred million. It, I think it looks like it cost around 60 million to make. So it's not making what you want it to. It's not a failure. 
Um, but it is that mid-budget so movie, so it's studios are not used to only having to pay mm-hmm. sixty to seventy million dollars to make a film now. They're used to paying a lot and more. It it, it kind of you know it kind of worries me that like you know a certain number of studios now are going to be like, well, you know, it didn't quadruple its budget, so is it event viewing? And and I don't think you can't put a dollar price on contributing to the film canon, right? Like this is one of the best movies of the year so far. It's one that I will rewatch. I think it's an enjoyable rewatch, not just for intellectual reasons, like trying to better understand Yun's character's arc and what his what his park is doing, like in the periphery of the story that we're watching. Um, but also also like it was fun the second time was tons of fun when they do the when they do the run and like we should we've got very few minutes left to go in this bite-sized bonus but we should talk about kaluya and palmer and uh perea because they they make it fun to watch and you know it's it's the realism of the characters that makes this really pop in my mind it's Mm. kiki palmer's character is uh her first film role by the way uh, she was in a sp- that she was in Lightyear as a, as a voice. She, oh, was it? Yeah, was she? she was okay. in Akila well, I, and I was the looking bee. back. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's been a long well, time. Re- recently, it's been a lot of TV. It's been a long time for Kiki Palmer back on the big screen. Well, good, good pull, good pull on uh, on the B. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that she's introduced as this really over eager character. She's so she's late in in the very first scene, like the only scene we get with uh, Keith David in that opening mo- moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like late for that. She's late for the safety meeting. So in the first two scenes, she's already late for two things that she, that were seemingly pretty important. Uh, and like her, the way her character progresses, like and then, you know, she steals the horse, which almost causes mm-hmm. a problem with Steven Yoon, but instead yeah. it actually causes like, it's a create, it leads to a solution. It leads to a realization that the creature, when the creature sucks it up and has a hard time, as Kaluuya suggests, like digesting it, or it like gets caught in the windpipes or something. That it won't like those legs, uh, yeah. and it didn't like the plastic horse because it assumed that it was a real horse. Mm-hmm. And so, like her, her, like you can, I don't even want to call her a flawed character, but like the flaws in her character lead to this like moment, and it all makes sense because we already know her to be this kind of character. And then she also goes back and steals the giant inflatable guys at the end. And because we've already seen mm-hmm. her kind of like execute this, a theft, <laughs> she's like, yeah, it like just computes in her head. You just see her roll up and she sees the things and you're like, no, she's going to just steal those. Well, she's a really capable producer. If we're going to put it in the, in, in terms of antlers holst as your cinematographer, right? Correct. They, they beg, steal and borrow. They're always selling. They're always working. And they're greasing the wheels and making it happen, right? Because, like, yeah, in the moment, she's just sort of, like, watching the take happen. But all her work was around the edges. Yeah. Right? And I love how the whole time she's always, like, trying to hang out with her brother. And every time mm-hmm. it's like, he's got to work. OJ's got to work. And yeah. she's like, I don't want to work. She's like, yeah, I'm it's, not into that. It's like no, three she's times so funny, in the movie. I, yeah. That she's and I think, that interaction. I, yeah, that's the, they, they came back to it three times. And, yeah, I do think, like... She's got so much charisma. She's so funny. And it fits so well because Kaluuya is such a... Like, what a generous performance. He does so little. Yes. And, which, like, you know, it should be stated, is not as easy as just doing nothing. No, restraint a, as an actor, I think, is a yeah. lot to ask of an actor. There's intention. There's a number of times where he's, he's his eyes are covered by the brim of his hat. Or he's refusing to look down, down towards the camera. 
where he says less than he could his and and I, I establishes this baseline in his performance so that when he shakes his head or he's like slapping his thigh or the truck uh the the inside of the door on the on the van or or when he says nope you're like oh that's him like screaming that's him that's him going big yeah and like i totally agree with everything you just said there uh just the understated performance i guess Mm -hmm. just makes it he kind of fits into like a more modern day character like he feels like someone in reality who's maybe a little less sociable a little maybe Mm -hmm. socially awkward or doesn't want to speak in front of groups and that's really evident from that opening scene and on the commercial shoot it's the type of character you wouldn't normally make a movie about yeah but that's that's what i guess and we we talked about that right outside the theater actually today about brandon perea's character who plays angel torres in the film and he's the it's the same kind of thing with him not a character you typically put in a movie because he just seems Mm -hmm. like a mundane store clerk yeah but who's kind of got like a bad attitude or like an yeah. immature when he attitude. manages. He, and that's the, he also manages to be funny while being in most scenes with Kiki Palmer, which is impressive. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I had, I had one other, one other point to say. I can't, I can't remember what it was, well, but uh, I did want to bring up like what I want to say is the, perhaps the most significant or biggest reason I think this movie is significant. And that is mm-hmm. not only the attention paid to cinema history, but the way that Jordan Peele was able to focus on uh, both Asian and African-American underrepresentation throughout the history of Hollywood and how that was not mm. something that was overstated throughout the film, but it provided a ton of subtext. Um, and this is from... Like, yeah, they kind of touch on they touch on tokenism, right? Like yes. Kiki Palmer's yeah. character says, oh, you were the Asian kid in um, sh- uh, uh, Sheriff, Sheriff uh, Jupiter Sheriff, or something like that? I think it was called. Kid Sheriff, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, from like the use of the Asian child stereotype that was really unfortunately prominent in the eighties and nineties to like mm-hmm. the integration of, uh, un- the unnamed black jockey from the Edward Moybridge film, who is, it, mm-hmm. it, that's actually like factual, like everything they mentioned about that, uh, in history, Edward Moybridge put together the first film technically by stringing together a series of photographs in order to prove that all four hooves of a horse leave the ground at one point in its stride because it was impossible right. to see with the human eye. And That's so cool. so that subtext provides this cool layer of like them trying to capture something that has never been captured either. Um, and also it highlights this actual unnamed black jockey who never was, rec- whose name was never recorded even though mm-hmm. he was like the first technically movie star. Um, it's, well, that's it's, what they say: actor, stuntman, yeah. and horse wrangler. And the irony is, even the horse's name is recorded in history, yet yeah. the jockey's name is Just not. So, Peel's focus on the uh, the cultural history and the erasure of minorities, both in Western films, in Hollywood films as a whole, is like a really mm-hmm. bold message. Adds really wonderful context and subtext to this film, and I think those are definitely my big takeaways from what yeah. Peel is capable of and why I think he's a fantastic filmmaker. Well, and yeah, and just to put a button on it, like at the end of the movie, um, the like really triumphant shot is Kiki Palmer looking right down the camera and the dust clearing and it's Kaluuya, it's OJ Haywood on a horse, right? Like that's the, the victories. He survived and I mean, it's a black man on a horse. So like you can definitely see like, they made that victorious. They gave them a name, right? Like I think I think it's 
again, there's a ton of moments in this movie that just kind of make you want to like cheer, right? And I, I, I love how it works. And but, that uh, might have should... actually been the most clear Jaws reference in the whole film was when, yeah. uh, when she screams, like when she goes, yeah, mm-hmm. when uh, it blows up. Oh, and that, yeah, that, that is what I want to say earlier. I do, I do think uh, Kaluuya is a little bit evoking Roy Scheider's uh, character in Jaws in terms of his his lack of social social graces and his uninterest in other people yeah and uh, Kiki Palmer's a little bit more a little bit more uh Richard Dreyfus. and then you have the expert cinematographer guy who's a little cryptic and with the with the gruff voice voice. yeah yeah so with uh uh what's his face from taking a Pelham one two three said actor's name oh Robert Shaw Shaw, yeah, yeah, that's Shaw. And then, uh, anyway, yeah. we're we're our, we're three minutes over what we told ourselves this was going to be. So I think I think we got to call it. Any final thoughts, shoutouts? I don't I don't know if I have a recommendation. My recommendation would be go see this movie. Me too. Get it a little bit more in that box office. Actually, and if you have seen it, go find it in IMAX. Go see it again. Um, there was one like the the first time I saw this film before you actually realize what's happening when the creature sucks the people up. It's when they mm-hmm. suck up all the people from Jupiter's ranch. Yeah. Um, and you see them actually like stuck in like the esophagus and yeah. all that of the creature. Mm-hmm. That really evoked a scene from a really great film. I think we, I don't think we've mentioned it before, but it was in one of our polls maybe, which is fire, it's, fire in the it's sky. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be on our horror alien poll. There you go. Uh, in it sometime next a year. A little sneak peek. But you're right. It does evoke that. Cause uh, fire in the sky had, is this like nineties, nineties film. Not going to get into it in too much detail, but it had one scene specifically that really stands out in cinema history from that film, mm-hmm. and it really evoked the visuals of that. And so that would be my recommendation: check out Fire in the Sky if you're really itching for that next alien adventure. Yeah, my my shout out slash recommendation. I'm just going to double down on what uh, James said in the arrival episode from last week. Check out Annihilation because I think that and this one have a very creative take on what an alien would look like and what it would be and how it re- would react to stuff. A nice original form. We could talk for an hour about how the, how they rendered the alien and nope, but this is a bite-sized bonus, so I think uh, I think we're gonna call it. It's something best to see with your eyes, anyways. So go see this movie. Uh, please get this movie over like that two hundred million dollar mark. That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. We need more of this kind of stuff. We need Jordan Peele to have his creative freedom. Yeah, this is the size to make of mistakes that and matters, and and, and to, to garner these sorts of successes. But uh, with that, thanks for tuning in for this bite-sized bonus. We hope you catch the movie in theaters, um, and uh, we'll catch you next week for our episode on Starship Troopers. See you then. And there you'll get uh, three alien movies in a month. You guys have a good August. <laughs>